As the Trump administration heads toward its final days, the president and his advisors have been considering how exactly to use one of the most powerful tools at his disposal, the presidential pardon. President Trump has used this power controversially before. He commuted the sentence of his friend and ally, Roger Stone, back in July. The president gave his friend, political advisor, and convicted felon, Roger Stone. In this country, they want justice, and Roger Stone was not treated properly. So I'm very happy with what I did. And just last week, he pardoned his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who had pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. The president's clemency was anticipated, but still striking, as he long complained that Flynn had been mistreated by the Justice Department. But now he's reportedly considering something different, potential preemptive pardons for his adult children and for his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. And dating back to 2018, Trump has even suggested it's within his power to pardon himself. So we were looking to uncover more information about the bounds or lack thereof of the presidential pardon power when some news broke. Breaking news. We have brand new court records. We just got them into our newsroom revealing a DOJ investigation into an alleged crime relating to bribery in exchange for a, quote, presidential pardon. I repeat, the Justice Department has been conducting what has been until today a sealed and secret investigation of a attempted bribery scheme for a presidential pardon. This is obviously big news. On Tuesday, court records were unsealed, showing the Justice Department in August investigated a potential bribery for pardon scheme, where a political contribution would be offered in exchange for a presidential pardon. So with reports that the president is considering some unconventional pardons like himself, and with the news of a Justice Department investigation into potential pardon-related crimes, we wanted to revisit this broad piece of executive power the presidential pardon. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. There are some powers an American president has built into the Constitution where his authority is pretty unrestricted. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that pardons is one of those powers. A president can pardon basically any person that he wants and for any crimes, whether or not the person has been convicted, whether or not the person has even been charged, but they have to include federal crimes. So the president has power over federal crimes, but has no... That's Jessica Levinson, a professor at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles. She's also the host of the Passing Judgment podcast. I wanted to know more about why. Why would the framers give a president this unilateral authority to free people from the consequences of their federal crimes? So this dates back centuries and centuries where kings used to have this type of power. And why does the president have this power? Essentially to act as a second check. If the president thinks, for instance, it's in the national interest to pardon somebody. Jimmy Carter famously pardoned draft dodgers. If the president thinks that the nation just needs to move on, it's in the public interest. President Ford pardoned uh, President Nixon. If the president thinks that there's been a miscarriage of justice, President Obama pardoned low-level drug offenders. So it's this kind of get-out-of-jail-free card where the chief executive gets to say, you know what, maybe something went wrong with the criminal justice system or it's going to hurt the country for this case to go forward. And so I'm going to exercise my pardon power. It's supposed to be rare, but it is certainly there. 
So no federal crimes are technically exempt from the list of things a president can pardon. But it struck me that maybe the pardon power was at least envisioned with some limitations on the types of crimes a president can pardon. Say maybe he can't pardon people for murder, for example. Jessica clarified this for me. Most of the crimes that people think about when they're talking about criminal behavior are state law crimes. So homicide is a state law crime. Domestic violence is a state law crime. Now, I think that there is some feeling that we should use the pardon power really sparingly when it comes to offenses that threaten the very functioning of the government. Think about obstruction of justice. Think about bribery. Think about corruption. But nothing in the text of the Constitution says But it only can be about this. The framers may have intended for the pardon to be a rarely used check to protect the national interest, but it's evolved over the years, and its use has met controversy. President Gerald Ford, for example, pardoned President Richard Nixon from any crimes he may have committed while in office. President Bill Clinton pardoned his own half-brother. Basically, Trump is not the first president to use pardon power in ways that upset critics. In Trump's case, much of that criticism has focused on his granting of pardons to his friends and his political allies. Can you explain why those actions were met with criticism from some legal experts for potentially misusing pardon powers? I think that the criticism of potentially misusing pardon powers really is kind of code for, I don't like that you did this, not necessarily that the use of the pardon power violates the Constitution. There's some question on the kind of the fringes on the perimeter of whether or not a pardon could amount to obstruction of justice, whether or not you can give a pardon and that would actually give rise to a claim of federal bribery, for instance. But when it comes to the president pardoning his friends, I think the criticism is more of a policy one, which is this is not what we meant when we created the pardon power. We wanted it as a check against some sort of miscarriage of justice, not as a get out of jail free card for people who are friends of the president. Now, of course, President Trump is not the first president to provide a pardon to a political ally or even a friend. But When it comes to Michael Flynn, when it comes to Roger Stone, these are offenses against the United States. They're federal crimes dealing with lying. And I think the sense is there wasn't any problem with the criminal justice system in those cases. The system actually functioned exactly as it should have. Flynn and Stone both had representation. They both had their time in court. There's nothing egregious that happened to them that would give rise to the need for a pardon. There's nothing in the national interest that would lead somebody to say, let's pardon Stone and Flynn. That's one way Trump has pushed the bounds of pardon power, but recent reports suggest Trump might soon test it in new ways. Trump has reportedly discussed preemptively pardoning his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and his adult children to protect them from any potential charges by the Department of Justice after Trump leaves office. But what does it mean to pardon people preemptively for crimes that maybe haven't even been charged yet? There's no limitation on prospective pardons or preemptive pardons. Somebody does not have to be indicted. There doesn't have to even be any sort of criminal complaint that's pending. You can say, you know what, I think this person is going to face criminal exposure, and I just want to preemptively say you're not going to be able to call this person into a federal courtroom. Again, the pardons only affect federal crimes, But in 1866, the Supreme Court essentially said, yes, this pardon power can be used at any time, even before legal proceedings begin. 
The best example, I think, is President Ford pardoning President Nixon. President Nixon hadn't been charged with anything yet, and it was a pretty broad, preemptive pardon. And in that case, President Ford said, it's in the national interest. We want the country to move forward. When it comes to President Trump potentially pardoning his adult children, I think that it is permissible. It's certainly not what the founders intended to just give your children uh, a get-out-of-jail-free card. But I think President Trump would say, well, the Department of Justice under Joe Biden is going to be engaging in a witch hunt, and therefore I'm doing this to protect my family from an abuse of the criminal justice system. Can a preemptive pardon, though, for his children cover them for any future federal crimes, or is it just like a, a group of future federal crimes that he identifies in the preemptive pardon? So we don't have good case law on how broad the pardon can be. The Michael Flynn pardon was actually maybe the broadest pardon we've seen, but you would have to identify something. I don't think that a valid pardon, and again, I don't know that we've tested this, but it would be a problem to give a pardon and say, if at any time they potentially committed any crimes, instead you would say, based on any actions arising out of the 2016 campaign and their time serving as White House counselors. I really do think it needs to be a little bit more specific. It can't be you, Jane Smith. You look like a nice person, and I'm worried that a federal prosecutor might go after you at a certain point. So here's a pardon. It covers anything that could potentially happen. You really want to identify something. So the president can pardon his allies, and he can pardon his children, and he can likely shield them from future charges. But what if the president wants to pardon himself? Trump has said that he has the, quote, absolute right to pardon himself. So I asked Jessica, is he right? Can he do that? Well, here's everybody's least favorite answer from a lawyer. We don't know, right? So does the Constitution answer this question? Not on the face of it. Does case law answer this question? No, because no president has ever tried. So by definition, we don't have a case on it because we've never had this arise before. Now, there is a Department of Justice memo that dates back to 1974. And the memo says, under the fundamental rule that no one may be a judge in his own case, the president cannot pardon himself. Now, the Supreme Court could decide that that Office of Legal Counsel opinion is not, in fact, correct. But in terms of, you know, what are the arguments against the president being able to pardon himself? I think the first one really is that idea that nobody can be a judge in your own criminal case. It goes against accountability. It goes against the rule of law. The other thing is it really goes against the intention of the framers and if you look at the way the pardon power is phrased, it really assumes that one person is giving a pardon and another person is accepting a pardon. Now, that's not dispositive, but the idea is that there is a giver and a receiver. And you can make the argument, well, the person giving the pardon is President Trump and the person receiving the pardon is Donald J. Trump. But I think that's a little overly cutesy. So essentially... We don't know, as you said, and there is potential room for the president to potentially pardon himself. That could happen. We could see that go through the courts. We could see this go through the courts. So, you know, the arguments in favor of the president having this pardon power is that 
there's nothing on the face of the Constitution that says he doesn't, that if the framers wanted to make sure that the president couldn't pardon himself, that they would have said so. And in fact, they did give a limitation, and that was no pardons in the cases of impeachments. Now, what would have to happen in order for us to test whether or not the president can pardon himself? Well, first of all, he'd have to give himself a pardon, and then he would have to be tried for a federal criminal case and use the pardon as a defense. That's essentially the framework that you need to set this up so that the case then goes through the court system. And at this point, we don't have any insight into how likely or unlikely that is to happen. At this point, it's just conjecture, but we know that President-elect Biden seems to want to move on. We know that personality-wise, this might not be something that is particularly appealing to him, but we don't know. Again, you would need the president to self-pardon for the president then to be subject to a federal indictment and for him to use the pardon as a defense. Just as reports have been emerging about how the president might use his pardon power at the end of his term, some new pardon-related news emerged out of the Justice Department. A potential bribery for pardon scheme was revealed in unsealed court records on Tuesday. The documents show that prosecutors executed search warrants on several targets, at least one of whom is a lawyer, on two offices at some point before late August. That's Spencer Shu. He covers federal courts in D.C. for The Washington Post. They collected more than 50 computer devices and phones, iPads, external hard drives. And after they finished the underlying investigation, they continued to find documents, communications that suggested other potential criminal activity. I asked Spencer to walk me through this latest twist in the story around Trump's pardon power. Their theory is a bribery for pardon scheme in the White House or aimed at senior White House officials in which at least two individuals approached senior officials for a pardon or a sentence reprieve um, of an unnamed person. And on a parallel track, there was discussion about making a significant political contribution through intermediaries to sort of cover their tracks. We don't know what White House officials did after they were apparently approached. We also don't know if this is the Trump White House. The federal statute of limitations for most bribery uh, cases or crimes in general is five years. If we assume they were looking at this in August 2020, that takes us back to August 2015, because it could include the latter part of the Obama administration. So just to sort of summarize, essentially these documents show that there is an investigation of a federal bribery scheme, essentially money in exchange for a pardon from the White House. That's exactly right. And we don't know if it is still open. There's no indication that anyone has been charged. Is anyone at all implicated in these documents or is it so redacted that it's impossible to tell? I mean, there are a few traces that suggest that it's a person who is not pending sentencing. It's a person who's already been sentenced, who's already had a reporting date to the federal prison system, which suggests they were sentenced for a felony and to serve more than a year in prison. But it's still a wide universe. As one defense lawyer said to me, whose client has people seeking a pardon, someone giving campaign contributions who's seeking a presidential pardon, you know, that happens all the time. And in a way, people who get presidential pardons often are or become political contributors. So people might recall that Mark Rich was a investor who was pardoned at the end of the Clinton administration, a major contributor. It was a controversial pardon. 
So if it's not that unusual for a person seeking a pardon from the president to also be a political contributor, what is it about this particular case that makes it notable? How is this different? What's different is bribery. You know, politicians in general with campaign contributions and all contributions like to say that people are not buying outcomes or official actions, they're buying access. In this case, the assumption is not just you're getting access to get a phone call or a meeting, you're getting a pardon. That is a definition of a quid pro quo. Uh, What makes these cases so difficult to prove is you need to show intent. So it's one thing to say, we'd like to request your review of executive grant of clemency or a pardon for, in behalf of this individual, he's very deserving. It's another thing to say, and then we'll give you $500,000 or $10 million. And so what's extraordinary here is that if they have communications that show that intent, which presumably is what prompted the government to ask for direct investigative access to use these documents. And also, it comes at a sensitive time. I mean, the election just ended. The filing was was produced a couple of days after the president pardoned Michael Flynn. It comes as the president is considering pardoning, by reports, members of his family, his attorney, his advisors. So just because it happens all the time doesn't mean it happens in this particular way, in a provable way, or that it's accepted. And again, as a defense lawyer put, if you're foolish enough or careless enough to put it down in writing, yeah, it's a crime. So then what happens next here? When might we learn more about what happened and, and who was involved? Certainly if there are charges, if anyone is charged, that will become public at some point. You know, there are occasions where maybe something is leaked. Sometimes defense lawyers like to get out in front of this or individuals or witnesses if someone goes before a grand jury. Witnesses are free to discuss it. And there's also the possibility that if the investigation is disclosed, then the government or some other entity will also come out and either publicly or on background make a point that that person was not charged, was not a subject, not a target, or that they reviewed the situation and they declined to bring charges. Again, over the past couple of decades, a series of court rulings have made it an extremely high bar to prove bribery. In this case, it appears that the description of the contribution is that a contribution would be made. Um, So it leaves unclear whether it actually ever was, whether a bribe was consummated or explicitly offered or just barely discussed. All right. Last question for you. The president called this investigation fake news on Twitter. Do we have any other insight into the White House reaction to this news? The White House has been silent. It's not commented to us. The president's response can be read any number of ways. One point is, is that it could have been that the government prosecutors or investigators saw troubling conduct. They wanted to confront the individuals to see if they might, say, lie to investigators or anything else. But perhaps bringing the case would be too challenging. So it's very possible that the investigation didn't go anywhere. We just don't know. I wanted to clarify where the lines are drawn in a case like the bribery for pardon scheme Spencer just laid out. What are the limitations to pardon power if a president exchanges a pardon for money? So what about a pardon that amounts to bribery? Here's something that we don't know, or a pardon that amounts to obstruction of justice. You know, here's what we don't know. The text of the Constitution doesn't say you can give a pardon unless you do so, and giving that pardon amounts to bribery. But we certainly know that there would be, at that point, an investigation as to whether or not you could really give that pardon, and likely federal charges for bribery. So, for instance, if the president is paid to give a pardon and he gives that pardon, 
that pardon is an official act under federal bribery law, and he could be charged with federal bribery law if the president of the United States uh, can be indicted. And so I, we don't know if that would erase the pardon, but that's a real legal question. One of the things that we've uncovered over the course of making this show is that the bounds of the presidency are often not codified into law, but instead run on a series of norms. It turns out norms are probably not enough to ensure that things happen a certain way, and they leave room for big, untested questions to emerge, like whether a president can pardon himself. So might this moment lead to a formal change in the rules that guide pardons? Jessica, who I turned to one last time, says setting new rules around pardon power probably isn't at the top of the list. The Trump administration has been a stress test on the Constitution, on our federal laws, and we see now as a result where the cracks are. We see that in so many ways we just assume that presidents are going to act within certain norms. Now, I don't know that this is actually going to lead to a change because I'm not sure that this is going to come up again in the near future. I do think when it comes to the Trump administration, we need to be careful about systemic fixes before we know if President Trump was an aberration or part of a pattern. We haven't had to, in the history of our country, confront this question. And so it's not clear that we need a fix for this one. There are plenty of other things where now it's clear we do probably need to tighten up when the president can declare a national emergency and what he can do as a result. But when it comes to the pardon power, it'd be great to have more clarity. I'm not sure that that's one of our top priorities. Congress could try to pass a statute that would give clarity on this issue. But again, I'm not sure that it's needed right now. Of course, none of what we're talking about would protect Trump from being prosecuted for state crimes, as you've said which matters because his finances and the Trump organization are being actively investigated by the New York Attorney General and the Manhattan District Attorney. Are there any powers of the presidency that could insulate the president from facing repercussions from those investigations, from state crimes? No, states are separate sovereigns, and that's really how our system is set up. There's a federal system, there's a state system, and there are some cases in which there are interactions, but the states are separate sovereigns. And the state, for instance, the state Supreme Court is supposed to be the last word on state law. And the president of the United States cannot reach into a state criminal investigation and try and exert some sort of power to influence the governor to pardon him. He could certainly ask the governor to pardon him. He could certainly cajole the governor to pardon him. But he doesn't have any sort of official authority to do that. Are there any avenues the president could pursue to protect himself from legal trouble after he leaves office that we haven't talked about at the federal or state levels or anything else he could do? So there's one kind of law school hypothetical that people talk about, which is that the president invokes the 25th Amendment. Vice President Pence then becomes the acting president. Vice President Pence pardons President Trump. And then President Trump says, and now I'm back, and submits the second letter for the 25th Amendment. And he then again becomes president. So President Trump has not issued a self-pardon. He's not pardoned himself. Instead, Vice President Pence has pardoned him while the 25th Amendment was in place. That's one other avenue. I don't know that that's going to be one that we use in the next month or so, but 
it is something else that, you know, in a law school hypothetical is possible. You've made law school sound like so much fun. <laughs> well, that's also my job. Um, it, 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 well, I had a great time in law school. I wouldn't leave. I came back and I said, please let me teach. <laughs> All right, Jessica, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh with logo art from Loren Boglio and theme music by Ted Muldoon.
But what does it mean to pardon people preemptively for crimes that maybe haven't even been charged yet? 